Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, Thrillist CEO Ben Lehrer talks about the challenges of mixing e-commerce with media and why he wants to bring Thrillist to TV. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. I'm here, as always, with Jack Marshall. Jack, how's it going? It's going very well, Steve. I'm enjoying this cooler weather. It's lovely I'm out from today. The UK, so it, you know, uh, it's the sun is shining. It's it's cooled down a little bit. We're very happy, and we're equally happy because joining us in the studio today, we have the CEO of Thrillist, Ben Lair, is joining us. Ben, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So let's jump right into it. You are known for two words, I think, in the media landscape, and that's content and commerce. I thought you were going to say good looking. Good looking, yeah. Well, uh, that's for our other podcast. Okay, got it. Um, so content and commerce, uh, you, you had sort of Thrillist, the digital media arm of, of your company, and last October uh, separated that from Jack Threads as sort of the commerce side of the company, yep. the sort of clothing, right, lifestyle um, wing. So, you know, for a long time, you, you were of the opinion, I think, that those two companies could kind of work, or those two arms could work in tandem, but you ended up separating that. How's it going so far? I mean, uh, and can you talk a little bit about that decision? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that was a uh, that was a big decision for us. So, uh, like, maybe it's worthwhile just doing a two minute background. Let's do it. We had uh, so we were building Thrillist for five or six years, uh, building a nice media business, a big audience of people who trusted us and did the things that we suggested. So we would say go to a restaurant, and people would go. We'd say buy this stuff, and people would buy it. And uh, we were building an advertising business, but we always felt that we had a unique relationship with our with our user base, one of trust, and uh, in sort of thinking about some of the headwinds that existed in advertising, and, and in particular in sort of you know subscale digital advertising, which is really where Thrillist was at that point. We uh, decided to start to build a transactional relationship directly with our guys, and we bought a small business called Jack Threads that uh, for three or four years we built actually into quite a large business. And uh, last year, we went out to raise some financing, and in the context of doing that, and and really just sort of over the course of the year, um, started to bump into some challenges in uh, really operational challenges in how we would run two very different businesses with one management team. And so we had a team of people who were sort of media guys and girls and got into a retail business where suddenly we were holding millions and millions of dollars of inventory and manufacturing stuff and dealing with things that just were sort of foreign to us. And in the in the process of doing that, we built a separate management team to handle the growing retail business. And lo and behold, we went out to sort of raise money. And in those conversations, it was really enlightening because investors came to us and said, look, you guys, like media investors basically came and said, we really understand what you're doing over here at Thrillist, and we like it or don't like it, depending on sort of our tastes. Um, but this other business is foreign, but interesting. But um, Were there other sort of retail investors that well, might exactly, be more comfortable yeah. with the and then, other and, side? Then, and then there were uh, retail the investors other the other way. And, and there was a handful of folks who were really interested in sort of this idea of content and commerce that, that I'm a huge believer in. I remain a huge believer in. But the realities of the situation were based on the scale of the two businesses. They had very different cash needs. They had very different uh, like they were actually at different stages of growth. Um, the industries that they were a part of were actually sort of not necessarily totally aligned in how later stage money thought about them in terms of how strategics thought about them. Um, so this was more about the investment piece? Than, it was Because you said you're still a believer in sort of the concept and the model. Well, so it, he, there's a few pieces to that. So one is I'm, in, I'm incredibly happy that we did it. We now own two businesses that are successful and at some semblance of scale 
versus one for sort of the amount of time and energy and capital invested. Like we have successfully split these businesses and they're each honestly thriving separate from one another. Um, I think that I'm a huge believer in the idea that these businesses should work together, but intermingling the teams the way that we did wasn't the right way to do it. Um, it's, all, it's also worth noting that the businesses themselves were quite different. So Thrillist started as a men's media company. Over time, Thrillist has grown to a much larger audience. Um, it's still a majority male, but the, the idea that Jack Threads is the perfect commerce answer to what Thrillist is about isn't really true. The businesses Because e- Thrillist sort of changed over that time? Or? Well, yeah, Thrillist changed. Thrillist is about helping people have fun and live fun lives and giving them information to make decisions about how they spend their time and their money. And Jack Threads, as a men's fashion brand, is a sliver of that. Um, And and as time went on, we just said, look, you know, we're swimming against the tide. Um, There are plenty of people who love each of our businesses. We should not slam our head against trying to make content and commerce work in the context of a 400-person company where each of these companies needs more resources than they're getting. You could literally look at the numbers and see us borrowing from one child to sort of feed the other. Um, and you could, you could see a good quarter for commerce and a not as good quarter for media and vice versa. And since splitting them, just having the focus for each team to really like bear down and operate the business that they're running has led to extraordinary growth for both companies. Really, uh, and and so you know I I know it's a little cliche. I've sort of I've said this before. The best two days in the history of the company was the day that we bought Jack Threads and the day that and the day that we spun Jack Threads. We created a lot of value in building Jack Threads. We. Uh, Thrillist as an organization became much more adept at how we use data to make decisions. Um, I think we got much closer to our ultimate reader as a customer and don't just think of them as unique, but think of them as an actual human being through things that you sort of learn through being a retail business. On the flip side, I think Jack Threads is much more content focused and much better at uh, at storytelling and at at sort of like and at using media and, and content to grow the brand. But uh, the businesses are better off apart. I do believe at extreme scale, um, and extreme I guess is a relative term, but b- media businesses have an asset, which is access to audience. Advertisers pay them lots of money for access to that audience. And if you can be in the business of owning some of the advertisers and be the advertisee, there is true value there. We right, just because, weren't big enough. Because you've said this before, that traditional companies should sort of push into – into commerce, traditional media companies. Well, so so think about sort of like the media model as it stands today. So if you look back 25, 35 years to sort of the beginning of cable television, um, you know, during the 80s, sort of every big cable network like emerged at once. And, and obviously for the last sort of decade, those companies have been holding on very tightly to that old model and wanting it not to go away, where now there's some sort of, you know, I think real significant dis- uh, disruption starting to come to the linear TV model. And one of the knocks on digital media has always been, well, the TV model was so amazing because it had the dual revenue streams. How do you make up for that affiliate money that was coming in for people, for the cable companies paying you? Advertising's not enough. Advertising's not enough. And so I think advertising is a lot more than it was five years ago when we bought Jack Threads. I think the the tailwinds of pushing dollars digitally, uh, the tailwinds around branded content, um, the, the sort of the consumer moving towards digital from TV has led to a much better case to be made for building big businesses that are advertising-centric. But in reality, to build really giant digital media businesses, I think we all need to acknowledge that just selling advertising in the long run, advertising is one business, so is events, 
So is yeah, e-commerce. You see it. You see it. You know, across the board. I think digital media companies kind of trying to find those other revenue streams as advertising becomes more challenged. But usually, what you hear is, well, you know, advertising the outlook. Going forward, isn't isn't that great for just the ad supported media business? But do you not share that that view? You think the ad market is sort of getting stronger with branded uh, content? And- well, I think there's going to be winners. So I don't know that this is like the perfect time to come in and for every for for anybody or everybody to go and start digital media businesses. But I do think that there is. Uh, there is always going to be real value for great content and for content that reaches lots of people in the places that they're consuming content. I think the same way that you had uh, sort of the linear cable TV pipes as the most important distribution channel that existed 30 years ago. Today, you have a disruption that's come to the pipes. Their pipes are now owned by Google. They're owned by Facebook. They're owned by Snapchat. And the media businesses that perfect creation and distribution for those platforms and are uh, and move faster than the traditional guys in figuring out monetization are going to have an opportunity to build really great advertising businesses. But there's not; it's not just everybody who's creating content on the internet is going to win. You have to have brands that matter, that stand for something, that reach real numbers of people um, in deep ways. Um, that uh, that are the kind of brands that that you know advertisers want to align themselves with, and that frankly can help brands. Uh, tell stories in a world where all advertising is becoming opt-in. You don't have to consume any advertising messages that you don't want as a consumer, not just because of ad blocking, but because of the fact that there is so much content. So if you can, if you are a content creator, a media company who figures out how to help brands tell stories in your voice and in your experiences and environments and can help with creation, distribution, and measurement, I think there is a fantastic opportunity to build big media businesses online. Um, but I do think you need to be open-minded to lots of different kinds of monetization. Commerce is going to be one of those kinds. The way that we approached commerce was, we, you know, it's like getting in a swimming pool. We got in at the very deepest end of the pool. We are going to design and manufacture clothing. We're going right, to hold inventory. Yeah. We're going to launch our own brand. We are going to do everything that like a traditional retailer does all the way at this end of the pool. And um, what you see other folks doing is much more carefully and slowly going and doing a little affiliate commerce here. Right, right, affiliate most, links to Amazon kind of exactly. experimenting. And I think that the right way to do it is uh, is going to be specific to each company. I, you know, The fact that Jack Threads is where it is today says that this did work for us, but we went about it in... Worked you, sort of separately as the spinoff. Yeah, it worked as the spinoff. Um, I think that for, for a media company the size of ours with the financing that we had... We were we got in a little too deep, and they're probably probably somewhere in the middle of the pool would have been a better place. But what we've learned and what we've experienced, and I think sort of like how we went about commerce is uh, I in no way, shape, or form look at that as a failed experiment. I see that as something that was incredibly crucial to the future of our media business. That's going to create a lot of value for our employees and our investors. But uh, it was hard. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll have more with Ben right after this. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. 
Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with Ben Lair, the CEO of Thrillist. Ben, we're talking a little bit about television. Uh, you've been on the record as saying, you know, you, you're in talks with TV partners. I think a lot of digital media companies right now are talking big game about their TV ambitions. And it seems like we're really in the early days. There, there are not a lot of digital media, traditional media um, TV things that are like, okay, we're out there. I think BuzzFeed sort of has a movie in the works. There are some uh, – Vox has a, a show in the works with FYI. But I'm curious – There's Vice. Of course there's Vice, yeah. Um, that uh, that would be the best example, I think. But what what are you guys doing in that in that space? Uh, or what kind of conversations are you having with networks? Well, I think the way that you said it is very right. This is early Thank stage, um, and I think there's probably a bunch of companies that are having uh, conversations that are sort of similarly situated. Uh, here's the sort of the way that we think about it, which is we have a brand with a sort of discernible voice and discernible reason for existing. Um, an audience that is vast and that cares about what we do and, and we believe will be interested in, in sort of the platforms that we go to. Um, we have a bunch of advertisers who are very supportive of our brand and the partnership that we have and I believe would follow us to different mediums. And we have very broad aspirations to think of Thrillist as a, you know, sort of we want to build a global entertainment company. Uh, and uh, and reach as many people as we can. TV, while it is under attack, and while we are going to see the thinning of the uh, the bundle, so to speak, uh, it's not over. There's still uh, there's money to be made there. There's money to be made, and there's also brand. Uh, there's gravitas to be had. See, so you say like a thinning of the herd in terms of the bundle, but are we going to see like a thinning of the brands? Because I mean, to Steve's point, like you know, a lot of the digital guys are talking about getting into TV. Uh, the le- legacy guys still have strong brands. So, I mean, is there enough sort of demand for, for all of this supply? Well, so I don't think you're going to see a lot of folks go the route that Vice has and get their own networks. Um, that's not something that or, – or I don't believe that you're going to see a lot of that. I also think there's been a bunch of people who are sort of knocking Vice and saying that it's not working over there. I don't know the specifics, but like so far – Do you share that view? I mean – I, I don't actually have a clue. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's working because they're on TV – they have their own network, their business is thriving, which we all know, and their brand is huge. Like, congrats. They're doing just fine. I'm not too worried about Vice right now. Um, I don't know if that content is – I don't know if the audience who they claim to reach is watching linear TV at with enough regularity that it's really going to make a difference from a ratings perspective. But I think you can put Vice in the congrats they already won bucket. Um, for the rest of us, um, you, you, there are you know there's you can look at it from the perspective of boy there's a lot of digital media brands who want to do this, but are there really that many? How many digital media brands have audience scale and revenue scale that matters really at all? Are there fifteen? Are there twelve? Are there twenty? There's I mean, enough room for that. Is define scale? That's part well. Of so it, I so. guess desi- define scale, but like make your top twenty list. It starts to thin out. There's not. There's sort of the haves and the have-nots. There's not that many digital media brands that matter. And the ones that do, and I would say matter to the tune of tens of millions of dollars of revenue or a very clear path to it, and tens of millions of users through a combination of owned and operated and distributed who actually care. There's not all that many brands that really matter from a digital perspective. And I think the TV companies are generally not 
perfectly positioned right now to, to thrive in digital because of the cost structures that they have set up and the fact that they have to spend so much time and energy sort of defensively protecting their turf. It's not to say that some of these guys aren't going to be hugely successful by acquiring or investing into the digital leaders, but there's not there's not 10 million people trying to compete for this space. There's a broad handful of digital media brands that matter. And I believe through the conversations that we've had and that other portfolio companies that we have at LHV um, have had with traditional TV, the TV guys are happy to think about partnering with digital media companies to bring them in to create new kinds of programming. And I actually does think- that, Does that work on, on television? Because, you, you know, you, you say sort of the traditional guys might not have the uh, sort of expertise digitally, but then by the same token- can digital companies really make TV content? I mean, when I when I think of digital video, I think of a sort of above shot of a very cheesy burrito that looks delicious on Facebook or kind of a five-minute or three-minute video. But is that going to work on television? So it's a, I honestly think TV is the first place where you can see truly natural partnerships between traditional and digital where both sides respect each other. Digital respects the fact that they don't know how to make TV. And I can speak for myself. I really respect having conversations with traditional TV folks because they know a bunch of stuff I don't know about that medium. But they respect the fact that we have a brand that resonates with an audience that isn't currently tuning into them and that we represent something that they covet as far as creating excitement and and sort of connectivity to their TV programming. And so that's where I see, uh, for the first time, really sort of collegial um, open conversations happening between digital and TV. Um, and it's also happening, frankly, at the same time that the TV guys are now starting to put a lot more money from an investment or acquisition perspective into digital media companies. You're seeing, I mean, Univision this week with the Gawker buy, like you're seeing this happening. The TV guys are starting to say, okay, sort of uncle, we acknowledge the fact that we can't just protect our former turf and we need to move forward and we need to start to put big bets in the digital space. You've seen NBC obviously be very aggressive um, and I think set themselves up well to to potentially own some of the most important assets of the next generation. Uh, through, with Vox and BuzzFeed. With Vox and BuzzFeed yeah. and, and some other feelers that they've put out there. Um, you're going to see more of these deals happening. Uh, you know, I can, I, I've been thinking, I've been, I've also said this before, so it's, but, but this idea that like 10 years later, we're an overnight success. Finally, it is, uh, I think that the, the, the folks who we've always thought of ourselves as disrupting have all come to acknowledge that there is some things that the digital guys do really well that they're just not going to be able to build themselves and that they're going to need to partner into or invest into or even potentially uh, acquire into. And at the same time, I think the digital guys are saying, we've developed all these incredible skills. We've built these big audiences. This is not just a straight road ahead to extreme scale. We are going to have to find ways to build our brand linearly, to build our brand in ways that some of these traditional TV companies have a better understanding of. And I think you're starting to see more natural partnerships form where everybody realizes um, that they have things to learn from the other. So so what does that mean for for you at Thrillist going forward? Because obviously sort of post the commerce piece, I mean, you talked about obviously the the importance of scale, 
when you're trying to sell advertising? I mean, you guys, I think, are around, what, what is it, 16 million uniques Comscore to your... Yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, Comscore is one way to, to, to do it. I think now because of distributed media, the idea of the people that you're reaching on other platforms plays a role as well. But we are not selling extreme scale today. I think scale does play a role. And as you look towards the future, um, one of the things that I spend a lot of my time on is how do we add audience heft um, not just like tonnage, but how do you reach more people in more meaningful ways? And so um, we've done that through vertical expansion. We've done that through uh, through starting to you know really build out uh, very specific content focuses. Is on that part of the reason that you moved this? a little bit away towards this typical sort of men's media? That that there was more terrain out there to explore. It actually it was that wasn't like some uh, purposeful thing. It was a matter of the content that we created was really not about it wasn't about girls and it wasn't about sports and it wasn't about uh, like guys fashion. It's about food and it's about travel and it's about things that like you don't need to be a man to do. You just need to be a person. And so um, that in some ways that was self selecting. The tone hasn't changed at all. It's sort of generally like more uh like a little bit more masculine that being said it's not written all by men it's just got i don't even know if it's masculine it's just sort of like the voice hasn't been the thing that has changed the way that we've distributed our content and so facebook is going to generally like women share more in facebook than men do like there's going to be some some pockets of users who we're going to reach through uh through new means that are ultimately going to sort of uh change the makeup of the audience. But generally, we're going after like people who have not yet given up on the idea that life should be fun. Does that also change the the type of content that you produce? Because as you say, I mean, when I think of Thrillist or when I encounter Thrillist, it's often through search. So if I'm looking oh, for like the, the best place to get a cocktail in, you know, name a city. Um, but I mean, that seems to me to be more sort of searchy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we or, utility plays a huge role. Um, you know, we, we get... Generally speaking, about a third of our audience comes through search, answering those kind of questions. A third of our audience comes through social, and a third of our audience comes through direct. So people who have just sort of built a relationship with us either through email or through just typing in our URL and coming and using us as a utility. Uh, and so uh, we're pretty well distributed uh, in that way, but lots of our content is very shareable and uh, and starts lots of social conversations. You know, I think we've probably – actually, I saw yesterday we added – you know, we've added more than a million social followers on Facebook in the last three and a half months. And so our audience is growing very quickly. Um, obviously, we're not paying for that. That's totally organic. We're creating lots of stories that are uh, that are incredibly widely shared. But we are not a company whose entire existence is built on a sharing metric as defining success. We're really focused on content quality and on trying to deliver an experience that ultimately helps people have fun. Utility is, is really core uh, to the brand and to differentiating ourselves from a bunch of other brands that create a lot of audience and have a lot of audience scale, but that if they disappeared tomorrow, no one would care. Uh, and I think that that's a really important thing that we always try to strive for, not just at Thrillus, but at LHV when we invest in companies. Can we invest in businesses where if they disappeared, people would actually notice? Do you think there's a lot of those around? I, I think mean, we talk are, about sort of the importance of creating a brand and really whether it's necessary in Oh, it is totally necessary. But I, you think there are guys that... I think there are guys that do it, and I think there are others that don't. And I think if you were to go and sort of, uh, you know, make your top 20 list and go down it, you would find some that absolutely 
would be, you know, the world would be a, a like people would be sad if it went away and people would notice. Not everybody. Well, I mean, I think uh, you saw that this week with for, for different circumstances, but Gawker that had a strong for you know for, yeah. for, for, that has a really strong brand and people feel strongly if it, when when that went away yesterday people notice yeah i think that i think more people probably noticed within the echo chamber of working in media, <laughs> media in new twitter. york like right your media twitter noticed yeah. i don't know that like sort of an echo chamber i get yeah, I, but, but I, that does have a loyal but by audience. the way so not to take anything away of course. absolutely that is an example of a brand um and uh and i think that yeah, Even to a greater a degree, than a by the way, question. to a greater degree, I think that if Gizmodo disappeared tomorrow or if Deadspin disappeared tomorrow, people would really care. Because that's sort of more niche. Well, because those are those are brands that deliver real value. I think Gawker mattered because of for, for for not necessarily all the right reasons. I think those other brands, like those brands, matter. Those brands create content that that uh, that like really drive those categories and that touch a ton of people and that. Uh, have have extreme influence in in the real world, not in like the fantasy world. All right, we have to leave it there. Uh, ben, thank you so much for uh, coming in. Really appreciate it. Uh, catch us next time on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.